Now, brothers and sisters, let's open God's Word together to Numbers chapter 16. If you've got your own Bible uh, at your home now, I would encourage you to get it out, to look at Numbers chapter 16 with me. Numbers chapter 16, and we'll be there starting in verse 1 here in just a moment. The title of today's message is Pride, Rebellion, and the Glory of God from Numbers chapter 16. Now, we've been in Numbers since the beginning of February. For any of you who might be watching this who haven't been with us throughout this journey through the book of Numbers, we've been in it since the beginning of February, save last week, which was Easter. And Lord willing, we have six more weeks after today in the book of Numbers. Six more weeks, you might say, in the wilderness together. And this takes us to the end of May, and I just want you to know, starting at the beginning of June... We will have a New Testament book, Lord willing, that we'll be going through. Uh, And we say Lord willing because, as many of us now know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, But Lord willing, we will go through a New Testament book after this, starting at the beginning of June. Don't yet know which New Testament book that's going to be, uh, but I just kind of wanted to give you a sense of where we're at and where we're going in this trek through the book of Numbers. And as we come to our text today... For those of you who have been with us, think back to that very first sermon on Numbers, that introduction sermon where we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And there we saw that Paul said these things that were happening in the book of Numbers, they happened as examples for us today. These things happened as examples or warnings, you might say, for us today in the new covenant age, in the church age. And as we have been going through Numbers, the sins of the Israelites here are starting to look awfully familiar, are they not? The sins of the Israelites are starting to look awfully familiar. We're starting to see ourselves clearly in the Israelites in the book of Numbers. Now this chapter, chapter 16, is full, full of rebellion against God. So full of it, in fact, that we don't have time enough this morning to cover all of it. I'd encourage you, if you haven't done so, to read through the entire chapter uh, sometime today, Numbers 16. But it's so full of rebellion that it's surprising and it's depressing. After all that has happened, after all that God has done and all of his gracious compassion toward these, his people, they still rebel this much against him and his leaders. But it's also instructive It's also instructive. So look with me, if you will. We're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 16. Chapter 16, number 16, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and he will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. 
You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? This morning, I want you to see four warnings from our text. This is a text of warning. Sometimes in the Bible, we come to texts of encouragement. Sometimes there are texts of praise. This is a text of warning that God has given to us graciously. And so I want you to see four warnings in our text this morning. Four warnings. Beware of these things. Number one, beware the temptation to draw an unbiblical conclusion from one biblical truth. Beware the temptation to draw an unbiblical conclusion from one biblical truth. Look back at verse 3 with me. Let me show you what they did here. Verse 3 again. It says, As they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, they said, You have gone too far. And watch what they say. For, they say, All the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord. Now they were right in what they said initially. This is a biblical truth. All the congregation was holy. That's correct. That's biblical. Okay? Everyone in the camp. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God says to the people, And you, you all, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so there was a sense in which everyone in the camp was a priest. Everyone in the camp was holy, right? There was a sense that that was true. But it does not follow that just because everyone is holy, no one can be in a position of leadership or authority. And that's what these men coming against Moses and Aaron were saying. They were saying, we're all holy, so no one should be exalted above anyone else. No one should be in any kind of position of authority over anyone else. And that does not follow. They took a a biblical truth and they extrapolated it out and drew an unbiblical conclusion from that one biblical truth. You could say it another way. Just because we are all set apart by God, and not just those people then, us now, just because we are all set apart by God does not mean we have no godly authority figures that we must submit to, right? In the New Testament, we see multiple authority and submission relationships that are honored by God and authorized by God. In the New Testament, we read, Children, obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husbands. Citizens, submit to your government. Church members, submit to your elders. Right? But the point here is not the authority and submission bit. The point that I'm trying to make, the warning that I think God is giving us here, is beware of our tendency that we all have to take a biblical truth and to turn it into an unbiblical conclusion. We are prone to do this. Right? Let me give you some examples of what this looks like so you kind of know what I'm talking about. This is happening often in our culture today. Someone will say, God is love, right? 1 John 4, 8, God is love, biblical truth. But therefore, he will accept whatever lifestyle I choose. It doesn't matter how I live. God will accept it. God will not condemn me because God is love. See what they did there? Take a biblical truth and extrapolate it out into an unbiblical conclusion. Here's another example. 
God gave special messages to prophets and apostles in the Bible. Therefore, the Bible's not enough today. He will give me special messages today, right? It's an unbiblical conclusion from a biblical truth, right? Or here's a final one. God wants us to worship him. Biblical truth, right? God wants us to worship him. Therefore, it doesn't matter how we are doing it as long as we are doing it, right? That's an unbiblical conclusion from that biblical truth. Yes, God wants us to worship him, but also it's true, and you can see this throughout the scriptures, God cares how we do it. Not just that we do it, but how we do it, right? And so be careful, beware of this tendency that we have to take a biblical principle and then work it out into an unbiblical conclusion that then we we try to feed to others, we try to teach to others. So how can we protect ourselves from this? How can we protect ourselves from this tendency that we have? Well, first, never start with your desire and then go find justification for it in the Scripture. Never start with your own desire and then try to go find justification for it in the Scripture. That's what's really happening here, okay? What's really happening is these people desire to have the position like Moses and like Aaron. And they're, they're upset that they don't have that kind of exalted position. And so they go try to find a truth from God that will help bolster their case to do what they want and to get what they want. Right? Never start with your desire and then go find justification for it in Scripture. We don't use the Bible to confirm our desires. Rather, we respond to the Bible and we conform ourselves to it. Right? We don't come to the Bible with preconceived notions of what it needs to tell us. No, we come to the Bible with open hearts and open hands and a clear slate and say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, and I'll respond to that. I'll I'll conform my life to that. Perhaps I read the Bible and I need to repent. I need to change because the Bible doesn't always just match up to my life and the way I'm living it, right? And so never start with your desire and then go find justification for it. In Scripture, second, the second way we can protect ourselves from this tendency is to know your whole Bibles. Know your Bible and know the whole thing. Work at knowing the whole thing. Right? If you just, for example, if you just read John or 1 John 4 8, if you were to just read that one verse, 1 John 4 8, God is love, and then shut your Bible, well, you're in danger of doing this, right? Because, yes, God is love, but if that's all you have, without the rest of the teaching of Scripture on who God is and his character, well, it's easy to veer off into unbiblical territory based on that one truth, right? And so you've got to know your whole Bible. We don't just need God is love. We need God is light. We need God is a consuming fire. We need the stories from the Old Testament and the stories from the New Testament, right? Know your whole Bibles. Read through books of the Bible. As you read on your own, read through books of the Bible. Instead of jumping around here or there, you know, one day I'm going to go to John chapter 4, and the next day I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 2. The next day maybe I'll go to Psalms, and the next day maybe I'll go to Revelation. Now, pick a book of the Bible and read straight through it. It's the way these books were intended by God to be read, because they, they build off one another. These biblical authors are telling stories that build off the chapters that came before. They're making arguments, logical arguments, that build off what came before. And so read through an entire book of the Bible and then pick another one and read through that book. Read through the Testaments. And don't just read through the New Testament. Read through the Old Testament as well. Don't neglect the Old Testament. 
If you neglect the Old Testament, you will not have a well-rounded view of God, of our world, of our own condition as human beings. So don't neglect the Old Testament. Know your whole Bible. And, and two, let me say this. Don't substitute, don't substitute a daily devotional verse and thoughts from some author for your daily time in God's Word, going progressively through books of the Bible. Right? Don't make your time with God every day be reading a page out of a devotional book. You know, one verse, and then here's some thoughts by a famous author. Those things aren't wrong necessarily, right? There's, there's nothing necessarily wrong about those as long as you choose a good one. But if that's your time in the Word every day, you're going to be in danger of this, this warning that we're talking about right here. You're going to be in danger of taking a biblical truth and extrapolating it out into unbiblical principles because you don't have a well-rounded diet of Scripture. We need to be reading God's Word and going progressively through it. Read a couple chapters of the Bible every single day. You know, if you've never done so, work your way through the New Testament. Then once you're done, work your way through the Old Testament. It's a great way to read the Bible. And it doesn't have to be a ton, just maybe a couple chapters every day. But make sure you're reading in such a way that it's not going to lead you to this error of taking one biblical truth and then making unbiblical conclusions from that one biblical truth. Warning number two, beware from our text this morning, beware the selfish desire for a position the Lord has not granted. Beware the selfish desire for a position the Lord has not granted. Look back with me one more time at verse 3 again. In verse 3, you see these people coming against Moses and Aaron saying, You've gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. The Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And then look at verses 8 and 9 with me again. Verses 8 and 9, it says, and Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? You see, these are Levites that are coming against Moses and Aaron. Levites that God has already separated from the congregation and given them a special charge to minister at the tabernacle to be representatives in between God and the people, and yet they're not satisfied with that. They want a more exalted position because they see Moses and Aaron and they say, no, we want to be the high priests. We want to be the, the main ones like you guys are that are representatives of God to the people. They had already been set apart, but it wasn't enough. Beware, beware a lack of contentment in the position that God has given you right now. Beware of that. We have hearts that are not content naturally. There's a reason the 10th commandment says you shall not covet. Beware of the lack of contentment in the position God has given you right now. Perhaps for you this is work. Perhaps it's your position at your job. But perhaps it's something else also. You know, you could have a discontentment in other areas. Perhaps it's the season of life that you're in. Perhaps it's whether or not the Lord has blessed you with kids or the, the specific challenges the Lord might have given to you with your own kids and your own parenting. Perhaps it's whether you're married or single. If the Lord has not yet blessed me with a spouse, am I content with that? Or perhaps the Lord has blessed me with a spouse, but I have you know, unique challenges with my marriage just like anybody does. Are you content with the season that the Lord has given you right now? Think about the quarantine that we're in. 
Can we be content in this season of quarantine, in this season of staying home all the time and staying away from other people? Any of us can fall to this. Right? Hear me on this. Any of us can fall to this lack of contentment with the position that the Lord has given us. But I will say this. The young are especially prone to this. If you are young, you're especially prone to this. And I'm, I'm 35. I'm relatively young myself. We are especially prone to this because of the uh, smaller amount of life that we have seen. right? And the, the things that we don't yet have that we have aspirations for, we're especially prone to this lack of contentment. Think back with me to the Old Testament. David and his relationship with two different people. All right? First, I want you to contrast David with King Saul. When Saul was king and David was up and coming, right? this is in the second half of 1 Samuel. When King Saul was king, David had already been anointed by Samuel as the next king. Samuel told him, the Lord has rejected Saul and he has chosen you. Right? But what did David do after he was anointed by Samuel as the next king of all of Israel? I'll tell you what he did. He went back and tended his sheep. And many times, as you read the story of David, many times David had the opportunity to take matters into his own hand to make the plan of God come about, the fact that he was going to be king and not Saul. And yet David refused to do anything to, to knock Saul off of his throne. David refused to act, and he let the Lord bring it about in his timing. David was content with the position that he had. Now contrast that with when David was king, and his evil son Absalom was trying to steal the throne from King David. This happens in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. Absalom was not content with what the Lord had given him, and Absalom wanted to steal the throne from his own father. Right, And David, meanwhile, is still content with whatever the Lord brings about. We'll return to that here in just a moment. And so are you content with whatever position the Lord has given you? Or do you have this selfish desire, like the Levites here and the sons of Korah, the selfish desire for a position that the Lord has not granted? And so what's the solution here? What's the solution to this warning? Well, Paul found it in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul found the secret to contentment and it was Christ. That verse, Philippians 4.13, that's not a verse for when you hit a home run and in sports and you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, it's a verse about contentment. Contentment in circumstances that normal people wouldn't be content in. It's more a verse for when you strike out and lose the game and it's all your fault rather than when you hit a home run, right? Paul wrote this from prison and he's saying, I've learned the secret to being content. I can do all things through Christ. I can be content in Jesus only in Jesus can you find contentment like this. Think about Jesus' death. Jesus, is, Jesus died so that you could be content. Jesus died for your contentment. At the cross, we see that we can trust God's plan even when it looks wrong. Think about it. At the cross, it looked as if it was a cosmic failure, right? Jesus was being killed by the Roman rulers, 
The Jews had won. The Jewish leaders had called for his death and gotten it. It looks like a cosmic failure, but it wasn't. It was exactly what we needed, and it was exactly what God wanted. And so at the cross, we see when everything looks wrong, we can still trust God's plan. We can still trust in God's wisdom. And so you look at your own life. Well, if your own position, whatever position you're thinking about in your season of life or your work or your family, if your own position is not exactly what you would want, we can still trust God even when it doesn't seem like on the surface it's right. Or when it doesn't seem like on the surface it's what's best for us. God knows. At the cross, not only do we see that, we see that our place in eternity matters infinitely more than our place in this world. At the cross, we see that our place in eternity matters infinitely more than our place in this world. Jesus didn't die so you could have a better position in this world. Jesus died so that you could be with him and with God for eternity. So at the cross, we see that our place in eternity matters infinitely more than our place in this world. And that gives us contentment. And at the cross, we see that Jesus died so that we could have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Holy Spirit, who alone, gives contentment. My friends, you cannot have contentment apart from the Holy Spirit. Not true contentment. You will search for it. Listen to me. You will search for it in vain all over this world. You will search for contentment. There are people all over the world searching and searching and searching, trying to find contentment in everything out there. And being disappointed time after time after time. You will search for it in vain. The only true contentment can be found at the cross. And Jesus' death which allows us to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Giving us the contentment that we cannot find anywhere in this world. There was a time in my life where I struggled greatly with this. And I'm here to tell you, it was a time when I was a Christian, right? After you become a Christian, it's not like you just have contentment all the time and you're never discontent. You have to fight for this every single day, even after you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But there was a time when I was a Christian, earlier in my Christian life, when I struggled greatly with this. That the selfish desire for a position the Lord had not granted. And I had to come to a contentment that said, God, whatever you give to me, I don't deserve it. Whatever you give to me is something that I will trust you through because you know better than I. In Psalm 84, verse 10, this was very helpful to me. Psalm 84, verse 10, we read this. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What's he saying there? What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, I would rather do the most menial, the lowest of positions and know God than to have the greatest, most exalted comfort life without God, right? Better to have almost nothing in a worldly sense with God than to have everything in this world without. So can you be a garbage man for Christ? Or do you need more than that? Can you take care of your dying elderly in-laws? Or do you need more than that? Can you teach little children at church? Or do you need more than that? See, there's, there's more treasure in heaven 
for the lady who faithfully teaches a Sunday school class of four children than for the in-demand conference speaker preaching to 5,000. More treasure in heaven for that lady faithfully teaching a Sunday school class of four kids. I'm going to be mowing her yard in heaven, y'all, okay? There's more treasure in heaven for that than the latter. There's more treasure in heaven for the humble man who gets up every Sunday morning and goes to the nursing home to preach to ten ladies in wheelchairs than for the megachurch pastor speaking to four back-to-back services. Right? The kingdom of God works upside down from the way the world works. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, the servant of all. You want to be great? You want to have treasure, real treasure that lasts? Go low. Serve other people. And don't have this desire, this selfish desire for a position that the Lord has not granted you. Find contentment where you are at because in Christ you have everything you need. Third warning from our text. Third warning, beware the idolatry of loving your own glory more than God's. Beware the idolatry of loving your own glory more than God's. Now this one's closely related to the last one, but the last was focused more on a lack of contentment. This is a desire for people to admire you, right? This is a, not, not necessarily a lack of contentment, but a desire for people to admire you instead of focusing on the glory of God. These men coming against Moses and Aaron, they were not primarily concerned with the glory of God. They were primarily concerned with their own glory. Right? Now, contrast that attitude with the attitude of Moses as he responds. Look at verses 4 and 5 in our text. Verses 4 and 5. It says, when Moses heard this, when he heard their attack against him, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and all his company in the morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. You see how Moses doesn't defend himself. He lets the Lord do it. He lets the Lord take care of it. And whatever the Lord does is fine. Whatever the Lord does is right. Moses is not defensive because of his position and his love for his position and his love for his own glory. No, he's concerned with the glory of God, and so he lets God take care of it. Instead of defending himself, he falls on his face, right? Look back at verse 11 in our text. Verse 11, Moses says to them, Therefore it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? It's against the Lord. Your problem is not with us. Your problem is the Lord. Moses sees their hearts He sees right to the heart of the issue. Their real problem is not with Moses and Aaron. It's with the Lord. They have set themselves against God. And in many times in our own lives, we want glory for ourselves instead of God getting it. How many times do we see this throughout the Bible? Think about this. In the New Testament, when Jesus came on the scene, compare the way two different people reacted. Compare the way John the Baptist reacted to Jesus when he came on the scene, and the way that the Pharisees reacted. For John the Baptist, people start coming to John, who had a following at that point, and they say, John, your followers are starting to leave you, and, and they're starting to follow after Jesus and his disciples. Doesn't that upset you? And John says, no, no, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I'm here for. That makes me excited 
People are leaving my ministry and going to his because that's what I'm here for. John said he must become greater and I must become less. John likens himself to the best man at a wedding who is there not for his own attention, but to put all the attention on the bridegroom, right? To make the day all about him and not himself. This is John. That's the way he reacted when Jesus comes on the scene. But contrast that to the way the Pharisees reacted. When Jesus comes on the scene, what do they do? They feel threatened. Jesus is threatening to take away their prestige and their honor among the people. The people always look to us as the spiritual leaders. Now they're looking to him. This is not good. We've got to put down this threat to our glory, right? Let's go back to David and Saul and Absalom in the Old Testament. You see, when when Saul was king and David was up and coming, Saul couldn't bear to have his attention and his power to go to someone else. He couldn't bear it. So he tried to have David killed. He was so jealous. David, on the other hand, when he was king and Absalom was trying to steal the throne, David was at peace with whatever the will of the Lord was. David essentially did nothing and left it up to God. And he said to one of his advisors, David said, if it's God's will for me not to have this position, I want what the Lord wants. It's up to God. I want what God wants. It's up to him. This throne is not mine. It's God's. And so think about this in your own life. Do you think you should be noticed more than you are? Do you think you should be admired more than you are? Do you, think, do you struggle to submit to godly authority in your life because you think you should be the one in charge? Or think about what motivates you to do the things you do every day. What motivates you with everything that you do during your day, whether it's going to work, whether it's you know, talking to certain people, whether it's the, the money that you make, the, the places that you go, the things that you do around the house, what motivates you? Is it getting more admiration for yourself? Or is it the glory of God? And so what's the solution here? This idolatrous desire for glory that we have. Stealing glory away from God. What's the solution? Well, I think the solution is to behold the glory of God and to experience how it satisfies your soul. Behold the glory of God and experience how it satisfies your soul. The glory of God satisfies our hearts in a way that glory for ourselves never can. And we know this because the Lord made us like this. He made us to where glory for ourselves would never satisfy us in the way that glory given to God would satisfy us. So practical question, how do you do it then? How do you behold the glory of God? Well, primarily by seeing it in God's word. Again, we come back to the Bible. You see the glory of God by going to the word and beholding it there. The Bible is God's self-revelation. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. The Bible is not primarily a how-to manual for life. And the Bible is not primarily inspiration for your day. The Bible is primarily God's self-revelation to us. And so when you go read the Bible, the, the perhaps primary thing you are doing is seeking to behold the glory of God in the way that he represents himself, to see the glory of God. See the glory of God specifically displayed at the cross in His Son, Jesus Christ. At the cross, God's justice and God's love meet in perfect harmony. It's glorious. 
You see the glory of God. His justice and His love meet in perfect harmony. God punishes His own Son for the sake of sinners. And through that, He is able to forgive sinners while still punishing sin and remaining righteous and remaining just and remaining true to His character. It's amazing to see the glory of God at the cross. He was able to forgive sinners like me and yet still, in His justice, punish my sin in Jesus At the cross. And we see the love of God giving His only Son, punishing and pouring out His wrath on His only Son for sinners like you and me. It's glorious. See the glory of God at the cross. See the glory of God specifically in Jesus, in the one who humbled Himself and then was exalted. Jesus was humble and obedient to death, we read in Philippians 2, and yet afterward exalted by His resurrection, and now exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. In Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 11, we read this. This is the words of Jesus. He says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. And then He says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If you want to exalt yourself in this life, in this world, God will humble you. God will humble you. And if you continue to exalt yourself in this world, God will humble you for all eternity. But if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, if you willingly humble yourself before the Lord, Scripture tells us He will exalt you. And so when you behold the glory of God, you begin to experience a satisfaction that glory for yourself cannot match. You can seek satisfaction in everything in the world, but you will never find the satisfaction that you will find when you behold the glory of God and you forget about yourself. It's a heart satisfaction that you cannot find anywhere else. Now, warning number four, and this is the final one, and it's a short one, but it's an important one. Warning number four, beware the judgment of God. Beware the judgment of God. We have not read this passage yet, but we're still in Numbers 16. Look down at verse 25 with me. Verse 25. I want you to see God's response to all of this. Numbers 16, verse 25. It says, Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, And the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them. And they go down alive into Sheol. Then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. 
And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Beware the judgment of the Lord that comes for those who do not heed these first three warnings. For those who take glory for themselves and take it away from God. For those who selfishly work themselves into a position that the Lord has not granted for the, Lord who, for the one who cannot find contentment in what the Lord has graciously already given. For the one who twists scripture into something that God never intended and teaches it as truth. The Lord's judgment is coming. I pray that you would beware of these things and turn from them before the Lord's judgment comes for us. Because one day it will be too late. The judgment of the Lord is always a reality. This passage that we read today is a warning. If you seek your own glory rather than the Lord's, if you refuse to submit to God's will, if you pridefully resist submitting to Jesus as your Lord, it can only end in eternal judgment. And so turn while there is still time. Turn to Christ while there is still time. Humble yourself before God while He can still be found, while you still can. Because, brothers and sisters, and those watching, there is coming a day when the trumpet shall sound and the Lord will return in the same way that He left. And those who are looking forward to His return, who have humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God, who have come to God through Jesus, they will rejoice. But Scripture also tells us that there will be wailing, horrific wailing at the return of Jesus because there are those who will know it is too late for me. Don't make that be you today. I always want to tell everybody, especially during this time, if you have a burden on your heart, if you have a conviction that you need to be made right with the Lord, please give us a call at the church. Give us a comment in the comments section. Send us a, a personal message. You can send me a message on Facebook. You can always email me at the church. You can find my email address on the website. But please do something about it. Please do not sit there alone and let yourself continue as an enemy of God. Be reconciled to Him. We plead with you in the name of Jesus. Be reconciled to God. Become a Christian. Be saved before it is too late.